Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I try to do the impossible. We try to condense about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years worth of business building experience and what we've learned into about an hour podcast. So we know that's not possible, but we get so many questions about people around or by, from, from, let's go with the word from. We get so many questions from people who are looking to quit their job and have questions around building their own business that we thought this may be useful. So in this particular hour, we spend some time sharing some of our thinking, some of the strategies, some of the tactics, and some of the principles that we've used to build business. Over the years, I tried to build a business five or six times before ultimately building a rock star. And it took me a while to understand some of these things. So even if you've never thought about building your own business, I think just sharing some of this stuff is our way to try to give you some insights into what's worked for us. And if you're already building your own business, maybe an idea or two from this can spark the next level of growth. And by no means do we feel like we have it all figured out, by the way. This is just stuff that has worked for us. There is a million ways to build your own business. So this is just something that we are using for ourselves, or these are things that we have used for ourselves that have worked well that we wanted to share with you. And if you are listening to this and you are thinking about diving into the crazy, insane real estate market and you do not know where to start. Someone just the other day mentioned to me they had a friend asking them when the market was going to crash so they could get ready to buy in. If you are trying to make sense of the real estate market and you don't know if it's going to crash, if it's going to stay where it is, or if it's going to double from here, we can share some information that has served us well in this area. And you can get a free copy of our book called Income for Life for Canadians at www.rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. So that's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. And that book, Income for Life for Canadians, has been downloaded tens of thousands of times. And it a lot of people have shared with us, it's given them some context to frame the real estate market and if it makes sense for them to enter it or not. So if you don't have a copy of that and you want to get started in the real estate market, you can get a free digital copy of that book at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go with our brand new equipment and, and Nick I, I need to know can you hear me on this freaking on. new equipment that's taking us so long to freaking figure out yeah yes I can definitely hear you but you stole my joke because I just said it in the, the first the first one we started and it didn't work out it didn't and work you're stealing we, it. we had to stop and restart and I just wanted to get the joke out of the way See, that's it's the not, challenges of working with your brother man he just steals your stuff for anyone just listening to us now they don't even realize that that's supposed to be a funny joke <laughs> All they heard was Nick. Can you can you freaking hear me? I couldn't believe how, how many people commented to me commented to me saying, you know, I love it at the beginning where Tom asks if he can hear you. I'm like, really? I, I just really don't like that part at all. Yeah, because we everybody knows you're annoyed when I ask you that question, and it brings joy. When an older brother can annoy a younger brother, it automatically brings joy. And those people listening are probably older siblings that can appreciate that joy. Yeah, yeah, that I can so, see yeah. for sure. <laughs> So listen, the idea with this particular episode is we have a lot of people that we run into who want to quit their jobs and start a side hustle of some sort of business or a full-on business. They want to quit and start replace their entire income with a full-on business. So we're going to share some of the concepts that have been most instrumental in our own thinking and helped us the most. There's no way we can get through this whole thing. If you're watching on video here, we have this whole blueprint that we've kind of mapped out over the years where we've cherry-picked our favorite information and put it for ourselves in one little document but I, I think we'll go through it and hopefully this gives you a sense of what has helped us and maybe it'll also help you. Cool. So Nick, I wanted to start with number eight on the list, which oh, I know. Beginning with the end in mind. Yeah, yeah. I want to start with number eight because that had the biggest impact. So when we were going to quit our jobs, this had the biggest impact. It's know your business math, but not from a business planning point of view. It's how long, how much will it cost you in your new business to get someone to raise their hands and somehow identify themselves as somewhat interested in doing business with you. And we call that a lead. How much is it going to cost 
to get that done. Never mind how, because Nick, we haven't even talked about like sure, yeah, magnets yeah. and the whole way, but how much is it going to cost you to get somebody in your world through advertising, word of mouth, referrals, whatever, to raise their hand and not do business with you, but identify that I'm a possible customer of yours. How much does that cost? And then after that, how many people have to raise their hands and identify themselves as potential customers to get a customer? And then what is the cost to do that? So, so I'll stop you there for a second because in today's world, a lot of people are going to say, well, I'll just advertise on social media. So the cost is really nothing, right? And then the one thing that you have to consider if you're starting out, that's, that's great. You can absolutely do that. However, typically in most environments, that is a slower way to generate leads versus some sort of paid advertising. So if you're going to take that approach, great. But then how long, if, if what you know, you were saying the number of leads they need to get a customer. So if you need 100 leads, if you're only doing it through organic social media posts, how many of those leads do you need and how long is it going to take you to get there? Because if you're starting a business, you're like, no problem, you can generate free leads, you need 100 and you can, you get, and you can get 100 every week from social media, right? Which isn't the easiest task, especially when you're starting a business with a new social media account. Unless you can get 100 every week with social media, that's great, but that's only one customer a week. Is that enough really for your business, right? And, and, and it brings up so many other questions because if you don't have systems to track that stuff, how do you even know? Mm -hmm. Because if you're just doing stuff on social media and then directing people to your website, which has a phone number on it or a contact us form to reach out to you, how do you even know how many leads you're getting? You're, you're right. So yeah. that'll get it. We'll, get to, the, other, yeah, we'll yeah. get to the systems, but this is the math that made us think, I think more like business people, like proper business people because we started to break down the functions that were required to grade a business. So it was the cost to get a lead, the number of leads to get a customer, the cost per customer. So as an example, if it was $10 to get a lead, and Nick, how many did you say? Let's say you need I was 100. just using 100 as round okay, math. So you can 100. use 50 or whatever you want. So no, 100, so that's $1,000 of leads. So if it's $10 to get one person through social media paid advertising to raise their hands and identify themselves in some capacity as interested in your business. And it need, and you need 100 of those people to do that to get a new customer. 100 is probably, if we're talking about, like, let's say someone's selling like online makeup and That's you need, different. You need yeah. to click, you know, and you're advertising products and you're, they're clicking into your shopping cart or to the product. So let's use 50 to make it, you know, just a better number or whatever else you want. Sure, okay, so it's 50. So then it's $500 to get a customer. So that's really, really valuable information to us as a business owner and operator, because if we know that it costs us $500 to get every customer, we know we have to sell something. I'm not even talking about profit at this point. I'm just generalizing here that we have to sell something of at least $500 to have any kind of... If we want to break even. If we want to break even. And I'm not taking into now operating costs. I'm not taking into mm -hmm. account lifetime value of a customer. Yeah. I'm just trying to make it simple. Yeah, and so this is a little bit more advanced than someone just getting started, to be fair, right? Because you, But you this is the kind of thinking... Uh, you got to think about it, but you can't, you can't worry about all this stuff. Sometimes you just got to kind of put your nose to, you know, to the ground and get going. Generate and then business. you figure it out. Because I was going to use the example of like, look, this is how a lot of companies work. So um, if you look at the, usually the front page of grocery store flyers, when those sales every week, those are usually loss leaders. So meaning they use this approach. Well, they, they're not making profit on those, but they're trying to get you into the store to worry about what else you might spend or to get you into the habit of going to that store to spend more money to then to get to your next point about the, you know, the lifetime value. So a lot of businesses are built this way where you're not actually making profit on the first sale. But I think maybe we, you know, there's a lot of businesses that aren't where you can break even or make a small profit on the first sale. Um, and it might not, it might not be life changing, but that's where we get to the next point that, that's more important. Yeah. So it's an advanced concept. So maybe when you're starting out, you just be, be aware of this stuff, yeah. but you don't have to lose sleep over well, it. I, I think where you got to be aware of it, which is valuable. So, you know, let's use the, uh, well, let's use a gym as an example. So let's use a, uh, what is it? Good life, right? Good life fitness clubs. So I don't know what a membership is there now, but I think at one point those types of gyms, the membership was what roughly about 50 bucks a month yeah, or something 40, like that. 40, 50 bucks. Yeah. So, so think about that. Like they need, so to get someone's attention, to get someone then to advertise plus the cost of the staff and the gym and stuff like that, the $50 a month 
is no good to them. Like I said, you they don't build the business off the $50 that you spend as a customer when you enroll, or even maybe there's an enrollment fee of 100 or 200 bucks. That's not how they're building the business. But they, they're, so they're thinking about that $50 a month and then they're extrapolating it out for how long people will stay. So if you're a new gym owner and you're going to start opening a gym, you got to figure this out and you're only selling memberships at 50 bucks a month. Well, how hard is it to sell something at 50 bucks a month versus can you maybe structure the, the business in a certain way where then you can sell things at $150 a month or a one-time fee of $150 and that changes your business numbers dramatically all of a sudden. So when someone goes to selling things online or people, you know, even there's Amazon businesses, everything, you know, how much work or profit is there in selling a $10 product versus a $50 product? And that's where you want to try to start thinking about those concepts because maybe the business idea you have is great and there's a real need for that. But the numbers behind the business don't make sense in the way that you would naturally structure them if you're just trying to compete on price. If, if that makes, I don't know if I'm kind of, I'm trying to simplify it. I don't know if I'm complicating it even more. No, I think we're doing it. Um, and, and the other thing, I guess, then to think about on top of all this is a concept that you just alluded to was the lifetime value of a customer because the Longos people or the, the Loblaws people who are doing a loss leader in the flyer or the gym, if they're overspending, if they're not making the profit on the first purchase of a new customer, they're hoping that when somebody comes into their store and spends time with them over the next year, that's going to turn into a profitable relationship. The repeat sales, yeah, 100%. The repeat sales, which is often discounted, I feel, with people who are starting a new business. They'll just calculate the profit on the first transaction, and if it's not profitable enough, they'll discount the whole business yeah. idea, which I think is a big point. They 100%. don't understand that essentially your first sale is to acquire the new customer. Then hopefully you're good enough where you're going to get repeat sales and the cost of acquisition of that customer is now gone because you have them. Yeah. They know th about you. And that I feel is where the real profit is in, in, the biz in, in businesses, right? Like how hard is it? You can almost take anything. So take the iPhone for an example. <clears throat> if someone's a hardcore Android person or, or early on when the iPhone was there, the BlackBerry people of the world, right? Because that was that was the big competitor at the time. How hard was it for them to get, for Apple to get someone to transfer over to start using an iPhone the first time? It was a lot, the, the time, it took more time. I don't know what marketing spend or anything like that, but, but the, it was more of a difficult challenge. So they weren't as profitable on the first iPhone sale. But once you're in that ecosystem, and your Apple Music and your Apple Storage and you get the new iPhone and your Apple everything else, the lifetime value of, of dragging you over to be an iPhone customer, now the lifetime value of you as a customer to that business is enormous, right? And there, that's where all the profit comes in. So that at least that's, that's the way we see it. And that's what people, I think, discount because they're always worried about new customers. But if you just treat the customers you get properly and you do things to nurture that relationship and your business is structured in such a way that there's repeat sales, that is where you build a real a, a real business with strength and a strong foundation that you can build upon. I'll never forget, because a lot of these principles we picked up from Dan Kennedy, mm -hmm. and um, I'll never forget the story he shared when he was working with the proactive guys on the proactive action. Yeah, I was agreement. thinking about them a minute yeah. ago too. Yeah. So it, the story kind of goes that he was working with them and they would go... You know, you you buy that cream, I guess, on a monthly subscription basis. But you didn't before. I think it was a like one-time purchase thing. No, I think it was go, always subscription. Was it always subscription? Yeah, they okay. tried to go in the malls with one-time purchases with the kiosks and stuff, but I think they've pulled most of that. Okay. Um, and uh, they would go, they would not make money until after the five-month mark. So they were negative. The cost of acquisition, because remember how much they were spending on advertising? If oh, you, well, they were hiring celebrities, celebrities infomercials. Justin they would Bieber have. was yeah. on there, a whole bunch of other celebrities. Yep. So they were paying a crap load to run the advertising. And they were actually losing money for the first five months of the subscription. And then after five months, they began making money. And that actually was a, a competitive advantage to their business because no competitor would invest five months worth of revenues to acquire a customer. So their negative, the, the, the fact that they were able to go negative for so long was actually a business advantage mm -hmm. to them. That you should have to be confident enough that at the five month mark or whatever you're doing in your business, you're eventually gonna pull profit. Otherwise, it's a quick way to Well, bankruptcy. you know your numbers. If they know that every person's going to stay for 10 months, then they know with every new customer, they double their money. And then it's just a simple, it's simple math. It's like, how many people can you get to stay on for your average term, which is 10 months? And so every new customer is really, it doesn't matter if it costs you $1,000 and you're negative for those five months, eventually it turns into $2,000. 
So how often would you be willing to spend 1000 to get 2000 The answer is like, everyone's like, yeah, all day long. So then it's just like, how, how do we replicate this? How do we grow it? Where can we get this message out further? And I think really what stuck with me with these concepts, like cost, co- concepts, cost to buy a lead, number of leads to get a customer, the cost per customer, and then the lifetime value of a customer, if you try to anticipate some repeat purchases and that kind of thing. Where I kind of, where my eyes got opened is uh, around, I think it was around the year 2000, I wanted to quit my job and I was going to sell eBooks because that was the eBook era. Mm-hmm. And I was going to sell them for like nine bucks and live on a beach somewhere. And I did this math of like how much money I'd have to spend on advertising back then to get leads. And back then it was using classified ads. Like even though I was selling eBooks, I was going to go use newspaper classified ads. But uh, to, get, to get all these leads and then the money I was going to make at $9, it just wasn't that much money. So it was doing this math that made me finally realize on the lifetime value of a customer that if you sell higher value stuff, you actually need to do less transactions. And if you sell lower priced stuff, you have to do a lot mm-hmm. of transactions. And, and that's what kind of got me thinking about business in a different way. Yeah, and it's, it's the cost to acquire a customer or a lead in the higher tra- transactional stuff, the higher value stuff, <clears throat> it isn't, the cost doesn't go up directly in relation to the price that you're selling. So if, if you know if you're selling a nine a $9 ebook, it might cost you $7 to get that lead. But if you sell a $20 ebook, it might only cost you $9. So then you go from $3 of profit all of a sudden to $11 of profit, it changes the the business dynamic right away. And I think that's something that's why that's the type of thing that we're discussing in this point. I think for people getting started out, that's the type of thing you just got to think about a little bit because it's a lot of work to generate these leads and to get these customers. And if you're only getting three dollars for every customer, it's going to be a it's 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 going to be like a, a tough kind of hill to a much tougher hill to climb than otherwise if the, the numbers are bigger. I think going forward, this is just an economic kind of principle. I think that's going to apply going forward is that as the middle class gets eroded you're going to have to make a choice as a business owner. Do you really cater to low priced options in big volumes or do you go to the super high end? Because I feel like that middle is just getting hollowed out for different economic reasons. So it's 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 something to be aware of if you're starting a business. Sure. Well, it's tough to compete, right? Walmart's got the bottom. Amazon's got, I mean, Amazon's got the middle. Let's be honest. Amazon's got a little bit of the bottom middle, but I, I, I don't know what they're, I'd be curious to know the demographic of the people buying at Amazon, because I don't know how many people on if we were talking about the you know lower income segment of, of society, if they're really um, shopping on Amazon regularly because of shipping costs or the Prime membership and stuff like that, or if there is just more like the visits to Walmart um, or you know other stores, other retail stores, um, I, I don't really know. And then the high end, yeah, you can you can structure things in a variety of different ways. If I had to guess, Amazon's getting everyone across all categories. Yeah. But okay, so the next principle, yeah, and, yeah. and I think you're right. Amazon's yeah. just getting everybody. Um, the next principle, Nick, is something the way we think about kind of business. And I want to frame it like this. It's also something else that we picked up from Dan Kennedy was uh, this idea of these three points that you choose the market you want to sell into. And then when you choose the market that you want to sell into, whether it's going to be cosmetics, pet food, fitness, real estate, whatever it is, you decide how you want to communicate to that market and that's your messaging. And then once you have your messaging down, you choose the media and you basically just take your messaging on whatever you're going to share as a way for you to do business and you put it in all the different media. So once your messaging is dialed in and solid, you can put it on Google, Facebook, you can put it on Instagram, you can put it in magazines, you can put it on TV commercials, radio, podcasts, everywhere. So that was kind of a big principle for me to understand is that you kind of look at things like choose your market. What is your market going to be? What is your unique message to that market going to be? And then you choose all the media you want to put it in. And the reason that that's really important is because the messaging is really where everything is made. Because if your messaging is right, you're going to acquire customers. And that kind of is what this whole blueprint thing is mm-hmm. that we mapped out. It's all around honing in your messaging. Yeah, the way I, I always ask, what I ask of people when they come in with an idea, it's like, great, sounds good. How are you going to get people's attention? And it's often that one question is something they've just never thought about before. And the 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 trying the message to market match triangle is a better way to look at it. But even just as, a, you know, the first step of it is just like, how are you going to get their attention? Where are they looking? Where is their attention? The people that you're looking for, where where do they put their attention that you're going to be able to get in front of them and get it, right? So, and and often it, that is, 
an afterthought of the business. It's almost like everything else is done. A product's created. The whole business is set Websites up. They have a corporation. Made, logo is everything. made. And that hasn't been thought about. And I think that for any idea, that's probably the, one of the earliest things that people should be thinking about. Because if you don't have an answer to that, it doesn't matter because if, that you can have the best business, best product in the world. And if no one knows about it, it, it remains nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the biggest challenge. Um, and it's, we're not, we're never taught to think like that. I don't know. I didn't go to like an Ivy League business school, but from the people that, uh, sorry, I shouldn't even say Ivy League, but I didn't go to like a, get my MBA or anything like that. And I talked to people that, uh, that did. And when, with these conversations, they're like, we never really had that discussion at all. There was some talk about a little bit of branding and that type of stuff, but, but this type of like implementable strategies on the streets, they're just like, it just really wasn't covered in any way. I've, like th- these types of concepts are just like, I never have thought about it. Yeah. And all. all the business books that were thrown my way, I remember when, when uh, NetSuite was growing like quickly and the business books that were being shared around there were all like theory. It was putting the right people in the right yeah. seats. It was like, get the right people in the right seats on the school bus so the school bus can... I think that was the good good to great. Get yeah. the momentum going. And all these concepts like really applied. But, but they had a later impl- stage. Yeah, and how to... Yeah, exactly. How to implement them was always just vague. Yeah. So it, you, there was truth there. But as a small business just launching before you get to like a medium or big business, you couldn't really use those yeah. concepts. What was interesting to me that I remember you sharing about NetSuite early on. I guess we can share this and I guess if we can't, we can edit it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think we can is that they were running a lot of their business and generating customers from Google ads. Yeah. So they were doing online Google ads, pay-per-click, and they were were building a very big business that, that, um, off Google ads. And we're like, huh, so that's how people, and, and that was, now that was what 15 to 2005, 2006. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a long time ago before they were everywhere. And I'm like, wow, so that's where the attention is. There's this opportunity. And that was early on where there was an opportunity in Google Ads and everything. Yeah, there wasn't they, as much competition. They had a great strategy, which we kind of looked at and tried to use for ourselves. What they were doing is they would have what was called a white paper in that industry, which was basically a document that would tell somebody who was in charge of inventory in a business or an accountant some way software could help their business. And they put this information into a white paper. And this white paper was a big explanation. And it was called the white paper to make it more official yeah, and formal, Yeah, it was right? a white paper, yeah. And it would be, basically be like how accounting in cloud computing. So instead of holding your accounting information locally on a client server model, put it in the cloud or in the internet and how that would save you so much money. So they put this into a white paper, which is basically like a five to 10 page PDF document that is essentially a sales letter. So send, like it is a white paper yeah, talking yeah. about the technical aspect of this. Yeah, but at the just, end, it was like, call NetSuite for... Yeah, by the way, if you think this is a good idea too, then call us because we actually, our product actually helps you do this, has, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was a big, long sales letter. And I'm not making fun of this at all. This was like a brilliant strategy. No, it was great. Yeah. Especially for a software company that back then. Oh. I don't know if there were any really doing that type not, of stuff. Not many. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty groundbreaking. And then, so they had this white paper and then they would go out and buy a pay-per-click ad. I don't know if at that time it was called Google AdWords, but it was a pay-per-click ad like Google AdWords. No, I think it was like PP. Google PPC. Yeah, go maybe it to, was AdWords. What was it? Go to. Oh, we they, used to, they bought I it. I was buying clicks on them. Yeah, Google AdWords bought, bought them. that. That's right. Was it I go, forgot go about to that. ads or yeah. oh, I forget the name. Anyways, yeah, something else. Um. Anyway, so they would buy ads, and the ad would basically say how to save you know thousands on your accounting using cloud computing or something. And if you click the ad, it took you to a link to exchange your email address for this white paper. So that's what they did. And then us in the sales force, so I was a sales rep there, then I was a regional sales manager there. We would be sitting in, or you'd come in in the morning, and in your software, you'd have your key performance indicators all laid out for you. It was quite good software. And as the sales team, you would see the number of leads that came in for your geographical area or for your vertical. And the sales reps just thought this was kind of brilliant because you would just come in in the morning and there'd be a list of leads of leads because when when we were at oracle when i was doing calling from oracle it was cold calling here's the phone book yeah Yeah. it's basically that so like these are people that have already been interested so it's warm leads they're basically way way different scenarios these were when we were at the beginning of this when we were talking about how to get a customer to raise their hand and show or a potential customer to raise their hand and show they're somewhat interested this is what was happening here we didn't know if this was a customer yet, but somebody out there in the internet had raised their hand and said, I am somewhat kind of sort of interested in your business. Yeah. And then the sales reps, what we did is we would just call down and kind of qualify some of these leads. And we knew they were somewhat interested because we were now calling to let ask them if the information that they had downloaded was 
useful or if they had any questions. So it was a nice sales process too, because you weren't saying, hey, do you want to buy NetSuite? They're trying to help. Yeah. It was like, hey, you got this information. Do you have any questions about that thing? Do you want to see a demo? That was a next step in the sales process. Do you want to see a demo of how that software could work for your business? I'll schedule that for you right now. Right. So that was kind of their process. And then it became as a sales manager, you just got to understand that like back to our example, if 50 leads came in, there was one new deal in there. It was always, it just became, business became math. You just knew that if you saw 50 new leads, and I'm generalizing, I can't sure, remember how yeah, many yeah. leads, but if you saw 50 new leads, there was a deal. And then that way you could reverse engineer the entire business or for your team, you could say, well, if we need five new deals this week, this month, whatever it is, and it's taking us 50 to get a new customer, well, we need now five times 50 to get five new customers. So we need 250 new leads. And I know the marketing department back then at NetSuite, I wasn't communicating with them like this, but I have a feeling they were just running these numbers. Well, just because under, of what you saw, how they, you saw how they were yeah, doing it, Yeah, right? it was so mathematical. It was beautiful. And they would just kind of crank up the leads as much as they could. And then they would stuff in salespeople into seats to call the leads and the business just exploded. And that's now, how they built now, it. they had a good product. It was the right product well, of for course, the right tech time. support. I mean, yeah, it was a it big, was, it was a big underground, a lot of capital behind it because it was, you know, there was, it was funded by some people that had, had made a big in the software company in the world already. Yeah, Larry Ellison was a billionaire. It, yeah, like, so yeah. it is a much bigger, but I'm just curious, but that simple process that you just outlined that we were talking about some of that stuff earlier, they use that exact simple process on the front end to create a company with a lot more work, a lot more people and everything. But when it went public, I'm just, what do you remember when it went I'm public forgetting. for? I'm forgetting. I feel like it went public billion, for a couple billion, a few billion. I feel like it went public for like a hundred billion, but I guess that's wrong. No, anyway. But, but it was probably, well, maybe, I don't know. I should Google well, yeah, this up. we should. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so here, I'll, yeah, that, they, they took that model to go public on the New York Stock. So yeah, if you Google up just like New York Stock Exchange, NetSuite IPO, that should tell us. But they took this model to grow a company and explode in an area. And it was small. When we started, we were doing deals, Nick. We were doing deals there for like, there was an 1188 special. It was $1,188. It was like a one user license for the smallest piece of software that we sold. And by the time I left two years later, it, uh, we went from like a, a, an 1188 still being kind of like an exciting deal to get to we were doing deals like $10,000, $20,000 deals. So instead of a $1,000 sale, you were doing it at ten dollars or $20,000. So they grew that in a matter of two years. They yeah. went from small purchases to ten dollars $20,000 purchases using this exact strategy. It doesn't matter if we can't find no, it. No, I can it, find it, the number of shares, of like 6.2 million shares. But give me a sec, hold on. So then I guess the reason that this is interesting to us or that, that caught our attention, and then we heard people like Dan Kennedy talking about similar points. 1.55 billion. Okay, and I said 100 billion? Yeah, off by a little bit. But, but, well, but to the point is those same principles, that simple process on the front end. It is works. All it took was to get enough customers. The, the business was more complicated, but it's all it took to get enough customers to be able to grow the business to $1.5 billion in value. It doesn't, and then people, I think, They even did it better in NetSuite because they had recurring revenue built in so they 100%. could see the annual revenue just rolling. No, it was great, but I'm just talking just the front end. It doesn't have to be as complicated. And then you can take the same principles like you were just talking about and scale them up and down and morph them for your business in any business, like I, in any business. I think business. it was seeing that that gave us confidence that we, because then we heard Dan Kennedy talking about similar stuff and we're like, wait a second, this guy Dan Kennedy's talking about these kinds of principles, getting a lead magnet, which is what the white paper at NetSuite was and uh, following up, doing all these things, which is what I saw in action to grow a billion dollar business. And then we thought, oh, here's this guy teaching small businesses like similar strategies. It gave us this incredible confidence that, oh my gosh, if we just follow this stuff, it's yeah, gonna it work. it seemed like there was a, you know how Tony Robbins, that quote attributed to Tony Robbins, I don't know if he's the first that always says it, is that success leaves clues. It really gave us a roadmap or a blueprint of our own to follow and then expand upon and make our own for what we were trying to do. Yeah, totally. So now if we reverse engineer some of this stuff, and Nick, we can just give a high level overview of some of these points. But what I wanted to share is that NetSuite white paper that we did just discussed, we talk about that as a lead magnet. 
So we always will ask any business owner, hey, if you want to acquire a lot of interest in your business, instead of going directly for the sale, let's do what these successful businesses have done. Let's try to just identify customers or, or potential customers who may be interested in us. And then once we know who they are, we can follow up with them. And instead of having a big sales force like NetSuite did, Nick, the way and you and I followed up with them was by offering them value. And a lot back then was through email. So our lead magnet when we started a business was a, a report or a book or an audio or just something, just like NetSuite was doing. We would advertise that. And then once people downloaded that, you and I didn't have the sales force to get salespeople to call and kind of close people into buying something from us. But what we could do is every week we could follow up and share some good information with them. And then at the bottom of that information or that email, we could say, hey, if you're interested in doing business with us, Here's our number. Yeah. Here's what we it. thought was good information. Some people are probably like, fuck, get the heck out of here with yeah, this Yeah, what stuff. is this garbage? Yeah, Why yeah. are you sending me some crappy report in black and white about some properties in Hamilton, Ontario? <laughs> anyway, it seemed to work. Um, but that was kind of the next step. And I think that's like the building business building process. Nick and I are always looking at if anyone's going to start their own business. That you can depend on referral referrals for sure. You can depend on your sphere of influence for sure. But if you're really going to grow beyond being a tiny business, you need a systematic way to acquire new leads and to convert them into customers. And for us, it was having something to offer to the market with good messaging. What's the messaging around your lead magnet? It better be more exciting than like a white paper about accounting. Mm -hmm. Something that was like interesting to hear for your target market. And then how are you going to kind of follow up with them? That was like the magical little ingredients for us to get going in business. And then the rest of what I was going to talk about here is just like how you go about doing some of that stuff at a high level. Yeah, it's more than nitty gritty stuff, but that that's really that, that's really it. And I think it's the two it, from the people, the business owners that we've worked with. It's, it's very often two things that are very, very overlooked. And then once they implement them on a regular basis, they notice a difference. We've seen it time and time again, you know, it, it, it matters. Um, and it's the consistency of, of that that matters. So when you were talking about offering, you know, good information to people and then kind of communicating with them regularly, we, you know, I, I look at it as like, whenever you're building a relationship with someone, you have to do it in stages. And if you try to go for the home run right away, it doesn't really work, right? So um, like if you're at a party and you're talking to someone, you're not trying to take them home or whatever the final, you know, I don't know what the final goal is. It's usually there's some, it's very often in, in you know, party with alcohol, it's some sort of sexual things involved there at the end of the night. But if you try to just go for that right away, it doesn't work out. But if you see someone once and you start talking to them, and that conversation is decent, and then you see them again, and you continue that conversation, and then you regularly communicate with them via whatever it is, text or on Instagram or phone calls, and you go on a yeah, couple you're dates. you're building a relationship. You're building that relationship through the, the, the um, consistency of your communication with them. There's a comfort feeling, and you know that's kind of the more standard process that is more effective than the other process, and it's no different than when you're doing this in a business environment. Right. Obviously, the tone's different and the, the delivery is different and that type of stuff, but it's really no different at all. People want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. That has remained constant in, in you know, from 100 years ago to today in a, in a very digital world to what's going to happen in 50 years from now when we go into virtual worlds and people are doing business in, in these virtual worlds and with VR glasses on. It's going to be the same thing. They want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. And that's, how we're, that's what you're trying to do with this process by yeah, offering value to people. And just on that point, I think there's like a million software companies that were offering different iterations of what NetSuite did. But they didn't have this process. So many people who get into business think, I'm going to build the better mousetrap mm -hmm. and that's instantly going to make me a success. And what we believe strongly and what we're here to tell you is that that's a bunch of bullshit. Usually the people who have the best success have the better system to acquire customers. It's not really who has the best product automatically wins. But most people, when they're trying to get into business, they think they have a new idea for something that is better than everything else out there, which is great. That's part of the equation. But Nick and I will always ask, what is your process to acquire new customers? And if you haven't put thought around that, which are some of the points we're discussing today, then really what do you have? Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing I think that we would try to always kind of impress upon people yeah. who are getting started in business. And it can, and it can be very simple. 
you just need a couple early steps. Like what's the front end? And then how are you going to communicate with them a little bit more regularly to build that relationship? And that's it. And don't complicate it any more than that. Because if you can put those two things into place, those will start to return results. And then as you grow, you add on other things. And yeah. And do it consistently. Like you're saying. So we know somebody who that we helped out in, uh, in Ottawa and we showed them this exact steps. Yeah. We said, Hey, listen, if you're going to do some stuff in this particular business area, run this ad, give away this lead magnet or this white paper or this report. Well, they licensed a bunch of the stuff that we use. We licensed yeah. it to them to use and yeah. we, we walked them through using we it. We walked right? them through using it, give them, give away this report and then follow up. And they did that for a few months and the feedback came in that they had generated more income or more revenue. I think it was, I think it was net income than they had working over the past previous few years and that it was like a great success. Yeah. But what they did to your point about consistency. So they took a vacation. They just stopped. Yeah. And they started cutting corners. They're like, oh, I don't want to spend the money to, it was, we were mailing some stuff out. Don't want to spend the money to mail some stuff out. I'm going to take a vacation for a few weeks. I want to pull back a little bit because I'm a little bit too busy. So I want to pull back. And we're like, whoa, 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 hold on. You don't understand this momentum thing, <laughs> right? So um, yeah. And then they started really just pulling back and it didn't, the, the results kind of faltered a little bit just from the way they were running the things. And that's what I would say that most people who understand some of the concepts that we're sharing, that's where they always kind of fail. They'll run things for like too short of a period of time. They'll run it for two weeks, get discouraged that no one's doing business with them, do very little follow-up, and they'll just let it all fail. Yeah. Or the flip side is that it works very well, but they get distracted by a shiny object syndrome and they move on to something else and they realize like, they don't realize, well, what happened? Like, why did this stop working? It's like, well, you're no longer doing exactly what you were doing before. You've changed these three things. They're like, oh yeah, why did I change those things? Well, I don't know. And we're guilty of that too because sometimes we do the same thing over and over again. And look, it gets a little bit mundane sometimes, right? It's a little bit boring. Like everyone, no one wants to do the same thing over and over and over. So, but it produces results. So you kind of, it's the don't fix what ain't broke type scenario. Yeah, totally. So, okay, so then some of the ways to generate just, or with the ways to think about generating your own lead magnet or your own thing to give away to get people to identify themselves as a possible customer of yours are this. We have broken out in our little rockstar business building blueprint here that we've kind of shared over the years with different people. Just a, a few steps. And Nick, we're not gonna be able to do a deep dive into all of these, but we'll come pick and choose. But the first step is what we've discussed, identifying your audience. And the reason that I used to hate this is because I always just wanted to get into business and make some sales. I never wanted to spend time thinking about my audience. But the reason that you need to think about your audience, and this can be identifying some demographic information, things like age, sex, marital status, income, children, the geography they live in, what are their goals, what challenges have they had in this area in the past, what are their values, what are the values of the men that you're after, the women that you're after, like how does it kind of um, all, um, all come together. The reason that you're doing this is because when you're crafting your ads for your target market, the more you know about your audience, the more you can put messaging in your advertising that is going to be attractive to your audience. So you just want to get familiar with your audience so that you know how to craft your ads. So step number one is just identifying your market. Who are they? What are the, you know, are there age brackets to your market? Where do they live? What's important to them? What are some of their values? The more information you can kind of scribble together on this piece of paper, the more raw material you have later at a future step to create your ads. So after you've done identifying your audience, the next step we would say is think about where you're going to find your audience. Where does your audience hang out? Do they hang out in the offline world, online world, both? because we want to determine where we're going to be able to put our advertisements. So we want to start thinking about where do we find our audience? Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be online. So here's what I'm maybe now the COVID world, it matters more, but there's a couple really good examples of this that, that I, I was thinking about earlier when I was looking at this. So one is so a lot of people would be familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk. So when he built his, the initial wine, wine TV business that he built it, you know, for his, his dad's liquor store and he went online and was marketing. The way he started that, sure, he was doing YouTube videos, but the way he really started that before the YouTube videos was he he's openly speaks about he was going on to wine forums and responding to every flipping post that he could respond to offering value. He didn't have a lead magnet. That was his lead magnet was these these posts in, yeah, in online hustle. forums. Yeah, yeah. 
And he was, so he was spending no money to do that. So he didn't have to have any paid advertising. Then he moved on to YouTube videos. So then he would post and, and put a link to Even his YouTube Even then he video. wasn't paying because he was creating the videos and putting them on 100%. YouTube. 100%. So he put, he, but he, he just created content is the point is that became some sort of lead magnet was his video. So more and more people followed, followed him. Um, in, in our business here, there's a number of people that have built their own business within Rockstar. And the way they generated clients for their business was they were going out to real estate networking groups. And they were they were like consistently going to those, either monthly or weekly, wherever they were going out to those. They were developing relationships, trying to offer value to those things, trying to be someone to be seen there. And that's how they did that. That essentially was their lead magnet, these in-person conversations that they were having before they went and built out some other things. So there's a few of the guys that did, did that type of thing, right? So there's other ways to do it. And it's about it's about understanding where is the attention, like we spoke about earlier, where are these people giving the attention? Yeah, where are your, your potential clients? customers hanging out? Yeah. And in today's world, it's it's harder and easier than it was in the past. Because it's harder because media and and these groups, these specialty interest groups and stuff, they're so much more segmented than they ever were before. Like we all have our own websites. Yeah, attention's visit. fragmented. It's yeah. like who goes to, I don't know, CNN or Fox for news anymore. I don't know. There's like, you know, there's all these kind of like independent, maybe a lot of people do, maybe that's actually part of the problem, but I won't go there. Mm-hmm. But but there's all these individual media sites you can get kind of really segmented information for what you're looking for. So you, but you have to, so that's, that's the downside that it's much more segmented. The good side is if you find those, you, you're clearly talking to the people that you want to be talking to versus talking to a big group of people on like a generic site and only a small percentage of them actually care to hear your message. So that's a couple of things that, you know, when you're thinking about this, that I would, I would keep in mind. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be pay-per-click. Like we talked no. about pay-per-click with that. It doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be Facebook ads. It can be, there's other ways well, to do it. One of the ways we, we did it at the beginning was we used an old concept called an endorsed mailing mm-hmm. where we got one of the professionals, one of the mortgage brokers we knew, we asked if we could send a letter to his database of clients. From adver- him. From him advertising or mentioning our lead magnet that we had created and that would, if, if, if he would uh, feel comfortable endorsing that. And we wrote, I think we wrote up the letter on, we printed it out on his later letterhead. We stuffed it, we addressed them and everything, yeah. but we got his permission to do that. And we sent it out to his database that he had a relationship with and it generated new potential customers for us. Yeah. And the benefit to him would have been if any of those customers that came ended up purchasing a property, then they would likely go to him to get the mortgage. And so it created new business from him as well without him going and asking, saying, Hey, like do you, you know, you need another mortgage, right? It was a better way for him to offer value to his people as well. And it's funny because that concept is so old. A lot of people know that concept from using other people's email databases. Mm -hmm. And this is where I love business building because it's all principle based. Oh, 100%. Like the the idea that you could go to someone else who has a big email list and ask them to email something out for you. And if you're friendly with this person, if they'll actually do that for you, because many people are protective of their lists, that's like an endorsed mailing through email. We were doing it through old school yeah. mail, but, but I mean, this concept of accessing other people's audiences who might have potential customers for you is a, is a really old principle that is usually discounted or people don't think about. Well, look at YouTubers or social media influencers. There's no difference with what they do. It's the same principle. It's a different media. And this, this happens all the time. New media comes into space that you might be able to leverage. The principles all stay the same to your point. You know, people look at social media influencers like, well, that's really like a new thing that started whatever yeah. five, seven years ago or something. It's not no, new at all. They just built an audience. They yeah. just they're just communicating a different way. Like if you were, I'm trying to think someone that's been around for a while. Well, you went to see Copperfield, right? Mm-hmm. In um, in in Vegas a, a couple of weeks ago. Copperfield. I remember seeing Copperfield Canada's Wonderland when we were kids. So I don't know, maybe that's 30 to 35, 40 years ago, whatever it is, right? I, well, I guess not 40 because I'd be two. But so maybe it's 30 years ago or something like that. So at the time, with no internet around or anything, if you were a magician and Copperfield had a list of customers and he mailed his list of customers. I don't know why businesses don't do that. I'd buy magic tricks from Copperfield for the last 20 years. That's what I mean. But there's no difference in the social media influencers now. The same thing was being done before. The exact same. Can you imagine Copperfield had a list of all the people who's attended his events and then he just occasionally twice a year sold out a little catalog that said, hey, you want to buy magic tricks from me? How much more revenue but he would make and that. no one even talks look, about that. How many t- how many tickets of Ticketmaster sold? 
why doesn't Ticketmaster do other things and reach out to these people afterwards? Or, or, I don't understand. You don't get anything other than trying to sell more consoles. I don't about get it either. Things. The follow-up's just gone. There's, so, uh, but on this point, to wrap this up, if you are sorry, sorry, hold on. That's a really important point. This thing, because what we're seeing now more and more, that's why you saw artists after like the Napsters of the world kind of took away the value of the the actual just the, the music. The, the artists started getting smart and saying, hey, why are we going through all these middlemen? I'm going to create my own groups of people. And that's where the value started coming in. Where they in control for those, the audience. Where they control direct they, to audience. And that's where what we're talking about here is these email lists and these other, other assets that you have. It's why when I kind of chuckle, like I'm a, I'm a UFC fan. And there's all this thing. I think I think this weekend, depending on when you're listening, this probably already happened. But I think it's uh, Tyrone Woodley's going to fight Jake Paul. Oh yeah, yeah. And Jake Paul's all for fighter increasing fighter salaries. And the reason that you know most fighters have difficulty getting salaries increased or their pay increased is because the UFC controls the audience. Now I'm not saying that fighters shouldn't be paid more. Perhaps they should. I don't know all the inner workings of that business and the costs of that particular business, but it's the UFC that controls the audience. The reason that Jake Paul can earn as much as he's earning and demand what he's demanding on his pay-per-view stuff is that he has a huge audience. Together mm-hmm. with his brother, Logan Paul, they have a huge audience. A lot of these UFC fighters that are amazing fighters, they don't have an audience. So all they're, although they're skilled at their craft, it, it goes back to our point about building the better mouse cra- uh, trap. Although you can have a better product, it's the people who control or have the audiences and the relationship with that audience that really have the most value in business. Mm-hmm. And, and you're seeing it more, more and more sports people are seeing it, but for a long time they did They didn't it. see it. For a long Some time. people the UFC still world, don't get it. No, in the UFC world, it wasn't like, like GSP actually did a good job with it. He did, he did a good job with it. The guy that took it to the next level was Conor McGregor, love, or hate, love him or hate him. He used his persona to get attention and he leveraged that attention into the whiskey build, brand. He built up all his own social media channels 100%. so he could communicate directly with his yeah. audience. Yeah. Then he, he sold whiskey. He changed the game and he was doing that. Like, you know, he's, look, whether you, like I said, whether you like the guy or hate him. Oh, as a business he, person? He was putting on a show purposely to to do get that. attention yeah yeah, yeah. Yes. and it wasn't it wasn't a uh, he wasn't oblivious to that fact for sure so this whole concept of building your own audience that you can develop a relationship with to ultimately do business with you can either buy that audience through like pay-per-click ads or paid advertising you can either build it yourself through hustle like you were talking about with gary vaynerchuk or you know going and do, going speaking at different events like hustling to build people and then recording email addresses and contact information and building up your own audience that way or you can access it through these endorsed emails, endorsed mailings, endorsed uh, endorsed YouTube videos where you're going on somebody else's channel, someone else's social media, someone else's mailing list and getting exposure that way. So there's multiple ways to build an audience. Yeah, but and there's more want, ways than that. Even, the, but, but, but I those mean, are some ways. Yeah, yeah, 100%. To, 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 yeah, we're not even getting into kind of refer, constant referral streams. No, there's a, uh, yeah. But those are the big ways. And then after you have identified where your audience is, you wanna think of strategies on how to get them to raise their hands and identify themselves so that you can have them enter your email list. You wanna have them kind of follow you on social media. You wanna have them. And that's what you spoke about with the lead magnet. That's what that's just something to offer them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a bunch of different ways to do a lead magnet that we won't get into right now, but some of the things can be books, reports, free demos, free software. For us, it was uh, when I was at NetSuite, it was a free demonstration of the software. That was kind of the thing. A lot of contractors use free quotes, free quote, like like anything. So if you can just dress up your, if you're a contractor and you can just dress up your free quote to have better language, to make it something better than free quote, you'll likely just like, absolutely destroy the whole yeah. industry well if you do in a good way i mean if you do a free quote within six hours and whatever yeah. blah, blah, like you just all of a sudden people want instead of having to wait three days for it like it's whatever you want to do and then once you have what you're going to do for your free uh, your your lead mag- magnet it is identifying your ad so if you're going to do the paid for advertising route what is your advertisement going to look like is it an ad on youtube is it a video ad is it a text-based ad is it an image ad on facebook or instagram This is where you want to design your ad. And this is where you want to go back to step one when we talked about identifying your audience because you want to make sure the language or imaging in your ad that is calling out your lead magnet calls out some things that are important to your audience. So this is where you're speaking directly to your audience in your ad. And then after you have your ad created, you want to follow up with these people. Basically, Nick, I guess forever. Yeah, forever if you're offering them value. 
if you're nagging them to and consistently to ask you ask to do business with you, then you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at one point we ran the numbers in our particular business and it, it's, you know, for most businesses it's probably true, but our, I, yeah, I forget now, but it was, it was a small amount. There were, there were people that came through the funnel and were like instant customers versus it's probably the 80, 20 rule. It's probably 80% I remember when you, I think when you ran it that one time, it was like 81% of our business came from follow-up. Yeah. I believe it. I, I know it was high. I just forget the exact number. Yeah. So that's where you want to think about how are you going to follow up with your potential customers and some mechanism to do follow-up, even if it's just once a year that you're doing some follow-up, but the more that you're following up, the better. And to Nick's point, the more value that you're offering in your follow-up, the better it is. And by value, it's just something that your audience is going to see some value in. So it it could literally be anything. Like this, like this podcast, for example, the reason we do this is because we hope some people, some people are listening to listen to our podcast just for real estate updates or economic updates or Bitcoin stuff or whatever. Some people are business people. And for those people, we hope to offer some value that maybe down the road some way, maybe they keep listening to the podcast and maybe there's something that we do down the road that eventually there's some sort of transaction like the business to be done between us. If there is great, but that's, this is just another route to do it. Right. And if there isn't, that's fine too. We're still happy to do it. So, so follow-up is like key. I'm just thinking about, we have this email that we send out to our email database and we've had so many people over the years come into us and say, Hey, I, I got your email the first year. I kind of thought you guys, I didn't know what to think of you guys. And then five years later, I was still getting your emails. And now 10 years later, a tenure, I'm finally ready to do business with you. So we followed up with some of our leads that we generated for 10 years. Well, more now. Before, we more, know. yeah, before they decided to start doing business with us. So follow-up is really important because it's going to convert somebody who found out about you last month. It's also going to convert somebody who found out about you 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge part of the business. Yeah, and then when you follow up, I, I, I know the next step is, you know, to, to you can't just follow up. And, and that's where some people, when they build this out and they do a great job building it out, but they don't give people the next yeah, step. Yeah, they're missing this, this yeah. particular So then step. you also, once you offer value to people, it's okay to ask them to buy something from you or to do business with you in some way. So you, like ultimately, you know, and the way our society is structured, you, you need revenue and you need income to pay for your house and groceries and stuff like that. So, there, you know, everyone needs to make some money, right? So then you got to sell something to be able to make money. Right. Sometimes if you're working at, a, at an office job, you might be selling your time like other people, other businesses are selling products or or some are selling services. But you got to sell something and you have to then give people the next steps during your follow up for the opportunity to eventually do some sort of business with you. And that's sometimes what people miss or they're a little bit shy. They don't want to do it. But when you're offering enough value to people, if you really feel like you're offering value, then you're you're allowed to ask for something back. Like it's, it's fair. And if those people want to take you up on it, great. But if they don't, it's no problem. Like they don't have to. So, but, but you, sh- if without asking, without giving them the next step, it's very, very, very hard for them to take the next step because very few people will go and like search it out. Right. So you have to give them the people the next step and make it a clear one right in front of them. Yeah. And, um, and I guess that's, that's kind of the steps. Those are the steps that we kind of go through. Nick, I'm trying to think about the, the resources that we've used, um, over the years, to implement some of this stuff. Um, I don't know if, if ClickFunnels is still around. ClickFunnels is a piece of software yeah. that does this really well. Um, Kartra's I, a good one now. It's got a thing built in. There, what is it called? What is that Kartra. Called? Kartra. Yeah. I know there's the uh, higher end one is HubSpot that is yeah. software that implements a lot of what we're talking about. Kind of like out of the box, you just have to plug in what your thinking is. But yeah, a lot if of you just need stuff, something simple. There's uh, companies like Lead Pages. You just set up a quick website. That's right. There's Lead Pages. There's yeah. so many different things. You just got to search online and see what kind of works yeah and and, and i think the key in some of this thinking is that most people that we will meet i guess we'll break things down like this we'll we'll say that most people talk about tactics they'll talk about what are they going to do like these little software programs yeah they'll say oh my gosh there's 50 different software programs that do it yeah or you'll stumble into someone who says they've discovered a way to do something on linkedin and they're like this is the way and that's a tactic a strategy is more where you are assembling some things into a bit of a system so just like we talked about NetSuite where, you know, there's a white paper to download and then there's a sales force to follow up and there's a demonstration to offer and there's this process. Now we're talking strategy. And then on top of that is principles. 
And principles are just things that always work, that you understand why you're doing what you're doing. You're understanding that follow-up is gonna generate 80% of your revenue. You understand that the lifetime value of a customer might be enough to allow you to lose money or go negative to acquire a customer. So there's layers to business, whereas most people play or spend all their time with the tactics and they get excited about the tactics, but they're spinning their wheels. Some percentage of people get to strategy and map out some of the things that we've been discussing here. Very few people really understand the principles. We're still learning this stuff, but spend time trying to understand the principles in business that go beyond strategy and tactic and that are applicable everywhere. So that's kind of how we think about some of this stuff. Yeah, it, it, I got to be honest. It's a hard thing to... Yeah. Sometimes it's taken, us, it's taken us over a decade to learn some of this stuff. No, I just, I, I just specific, specifically mean the principle, the, the point you just shared is that it, sometimes it's a hard thing to be able to stay focused on because the next, you know, shiny object syndrome thing comes out. You're like, oh my God, this is going to be so cool. But sometimes that like, you, you know, Den, Dennis uh, Legoy, our old accountant who has passed away, he uh, said to us a number of years ago, he goes, goes guys, look, I've saw, seen a lot of businesses and I've seen, you know, I've seen them come and go. I've seen ones grow into like just huge companies and I've seen a lot falter and some stay in the middle. But in his experience, he felt that it was the tortoise that won the race and there would be these growth spurts in businesses and there's a little bit of a plateau for a while and then another growth spurt. And he goes, that's where I've seen the most sustainable businesses often really kind of, you know, really build things out for the long term, And a lot of that has to do with sticking to the principles and sticking to the core foundations that brought you there and then just kind of building upon that versus getting distracted and moving to five or 10 different things all the time. And I, it can be hard. It can be hard, especially in today's world where you're, we're blasted with so much stuff. Oh, there's this new technology. We just And it always about, looks like someone else is making more yeah. money than you. Well, we use Infusionsoft and there's, you can, people go to MailChimp. They're like, oh, you should use MailChimp for this. And there's ConvertKit. And there's, uh, then we talked about ClickFunnels and Kartra and Elite Pages and uh, Unbounce and HubSpot. It's like there's, there's all these things, right? You can go to all these things like, oh, maybe this one's better and this technology. It very rarely is is using one platform versus another really going to make, make any significant difference in any results of your business. It's going to be the principles, right? So it's going to be, what are you offering people? Is it good? What's your follow-up afterwards? What's the referral thing like? Is you know, What's the all, cost per customer? The What's the lifetime value of yeah, customer? All that stuff is what matters more than anything. And um, it's just it's not as exciting. And once it's in place, sometimes you just kind of overlook it, but it's it's the stuff that you just got to drill down to on a regular basis. Maybe it's weekly, daily, depending on where you're at, whatever. Um, you just got to be looking at these numbers or someone's got to be looking and managing these numbers. And uh, I, I think it, it sets you up for the long term and it gives you a strong foundation to kind of build on. So it's always been, at least for us, it's it's been the most viable way to look look at uh, look at things. And, and if 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 you're kind of feeling lost listening to some of this stuff, there's no good place to get it. It's not like you can just go to one resource and have all this stuff. It does take time to assemble it. I think what gave us confidence is when we started going to different marketing conferences and we would stumble into business owners who were implementing some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. We had our past history at Oracle NetSuite to kind of reflect on. So it gave us the confidence like, oh my gosh, this is actually going to work. And we stuck with it. Yeah. But it's not like you can go anywhere. Like, where can you go and just say, here's how to build a business? Like, it doesn't really yeah. exist. No, no. You got, we generally have to piece it together from a number of different places. And, yeah. so, and the, some of those places just are no longer available. Unfortunately, yeah. we feel fortunate. I'm sure there's other ones that have replaced them to a point. But, you know, some of the marketing conferences we, we went to, so specifically the ones hosted by Dan Kennedy and Bill Glazer, we got a lot of value from. And a lot of people that were... Um, at those places and at the different mastermind groups that we were part of, they might have been there before or after us or some with us. They went on to build other businesses in, in different spaces, all using these principles. Some were dentists, some were digital marketers, some were um, car dealerships, car dealerships uh, Joe Polish with a, a carpet cleaning. Yeah, yeah. There's like like the same principles people used to build out all this all this stuff, and everyone's gone off and, and done their thing. And so there's all these segmented groups now, and some are larger than others. But around that's that's where we kind of like, you know, busted our chops initially. And it was it was really valuable. So if you can find a couple of those spaces that are good for you, um, led by people, I would I would suggest just make sure they're led by people that are actually doing it. Because there are a lot of people out there that are like, you know, they teach stuff, but they're they're not, not really doing, doing it. it right. Yeah. It's 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 really interesting. Like I, I always it was one a Kennedy example and then I always use it and it's 
there's a lot of people that will be like out or there were uh, prior to COVID and maybe now they're doing it virtually, but they're speaking to people about building a business on Facebook, but they're out there getting, they get their customers from going around and speaking to people. To different events in person. Yeah. yeah and yeah. they're not getting their customers from Facebook, but they're teaching other people how to get their customers from Facebook. And I'm like, it's, it, I, I'm not saying that I remember they when you it. had that realization yeah. when you, 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 and I'm like, I'm not saying they can't do it, but they're you know, not doing maybe it. you just got to take it with a grain of salt because obviously it seems like there might be a bigger source of business from them going around and speaking at all these different events versus actually just implementing what they're teaching you right so there's you know the, or you it know, could work what they were teaching but they just found an easier path by going into other people's audiences maybe, but and getting it, kind of the yeah. low-hanging fruit you just gotta look at it from as best possible from an objective point of view right and you can't you just can't you there's, there's you gotta look at it my my personality, I guess, is wired for that. Like, I always try to look at it from a few different personalities to get a little bit of an understanding of, hey, where are these people coming from? But there's there's some really great people out there teaching some really great stuff. Cool. Anything else? I think that's everything nope. I wanted to share I think for that's today. it. Thanks, Nick. You're amazing. I'm I glad, think so. Hey, by the way, I'm glad you could hear me. I'm glad I'm, glad I'm your brother. You're lucky. Hey everyone, so hopefully you enjoyed that episode with Nick and I chit-chatting about business building. And again, we don't think we have everything figured out. There is a million ways to build a business. We are just sharing what has worked for us over the years and what we would have liked to hear when we were getting started. And if you are listening to this and you want to get into the real estate market, you can get a free copy of our book, Income for Life for Canadians, at the URL rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. The book is called Income for for life for Canadians. And if you just finished listening to this episode, you should be able to figure out what we're doing with this book, why we're giving it away and what we're going to do after you download it. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>